If you walk in darkness, sooner or later, you're going to stumble. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that is true. We know that uh, when we walk with eyes closed or blind eyes or in utter darkness, that we are prone to stumble, we are prone to fall and trip up. And so we just ask now that even as we come to your word, you would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would speak to us, uh, enlighten us, um, encourage us, and allow us to glorify you with what we take away from your word by your help, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read for you Psalm 119, verse 105 through 112. This is God's word, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offering of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Incline my heart to perform your statutes forever. To the end. Amen. When you walk in darkness, you are sure sooner or later to stumble or to fall. So here, the very first verse that I read, verse 105, is well known. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a lantern. It is the very thing that lights up the path. It provides clarity for what was once in darkness or concealed by the dark. Light cuts through that and exposes what needs to be seen. It brings clarity, which once was hard to see. You bring the light and you can see it clearly. The, the, the word being uh, the lamp to the feet is clear. It, it brings Clarity to where, where the feet are going. Here's what's amazing that I find about a lamp or a lantern. It is not fixed in place. So the concept here even in, in, to the original writers was they would not have thought of a light bulb or something even attached to a fixed place. It would be something that traveled with them, a torch or a lantern of sorts. And so it was, it was with you. And here's the thing about a lantern. Imagine if you were in pitch black, middle of nowhere, no light pollution from a city, pitch black, the moon's not even out, and you can barely see in front of you. Well, if you have a lantern or you have a light, you can see a couple feet in front and a couple feet behind. But that's it. The amazing thing is you, though, do have enough light that is sufficient for what you need. You only, technically, to be safe, you only need enough light to see your next step. And you don't need uh, enough light to see the hundred steps you've already taken. When you think about your way or your path, your feet, where they are, in order to not stumble, all you need is the light that would be around you if you were holding a lantern. It is sufficient to bring clarity 
to prevent you from stumbling and falling. Now, the word of the Lord, we know, it, you know, it cuts to the heart. It, can, it shows us the future. It shows us the past. But even if you think about your own path, sometimes you think, it's not clear where I'm going to be in 10 years from now. It's not clear to me where I'm going to be in 10 months from now. Or, or, you know, what's going to go on in my life in 10 months? Like, why, God, why won't you just show me 10 months from now? And he says, my word is a lamp to your feet. My word is sufficient for this moment. My word is sufficient for your very next step to keep you from stumbling. Is that enough? And of course it's enough. God provides exactly what we need for life and for hope and for salvation. And so when he says that his word is a lamp to our feet and the light to our path, it teaches us that he provides the clarity that we need in the exact way he needs through, we need, sorry, through his word. Through his word. It provides that hope. It provides that clarity. It provides all that we need for comfort and for taking that next step. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's clear. It's interesting because it shows a couple of things. What this is going to show us, even as we walk through these few verses, is that the Word of God provides clarity for life, and sufficiently for life. For It kind of provides a roadmap of just what we need. It provides a filter through which we are to do life and how we're to think about certain things and where we need clarity on certain issues in our life. So the first way it's going to provide clarity is in the way. It's going to show us the way we are to go, the narrow way, the right way, the good way, the way of obedience, the way of faith. It's going to show us that way when we have the word in our life and the word and we're asking the word to show us, well, is this right or is that right? The word is sufficient for that next Step The next step of faith. You know, you might be thinking 10 years down the road, how do I plan my retirement? How do I plan my funeral? How, what do I? But here's what God's asking you to do is plan your next day. Not even, obviously we know from the book of James and even from Matthew chapter 6, it's kind of, why, why worry about tomorrow for tomorrow worries about itself. But at the same time, when we're thinking about, well, how do I honor God with my tomorrow or my next decision? We're often having to think ahead and go, but really what God wants us to do is think about the very next step. What are you going to do today? How are you going to obey today? How are you going to honor him with your, your you know, you think about saving for retirement. Well, how are you going to honor him with your money today? Don't worry about honoring him with your money in 10 years. Because if you begin to allow the word of God to speak to your moment, this very moment, your very next step, the path that you're on, he's going to provide clarity for that path. And then the path will become clear as you take it with him. So he provides clarity in the way, enough, sufficient to keep us from stumbling or getting trapped by the snares, which we're going to see come later in one, in one verse, uh, sorry, in verse 110. It, it provides enough clarity that we don't stumble or get trapped on our way. The second thing it provides clarity in our life about is righteous behavior, how to live rightly. Look at verse 106. He says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. If you want to live a life that is righteous, a life reflective of what God has already done in you and declared right of you through, through the Lord Jesus, you want to live that life of love and obedience, you want to live rightly, 
and you're going to swear to, to keep his words. You mistrust your own words, as John Calvin says, perhaps mistrusting his own fickle mind. He had pledged himself in a sacred form to abide faithful to the determinations and decisions of God. What God has determined, what God has decided, I'm committing myself to that. That's where we need to place ourselves. We sing the song, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. What? How much of you... All of your life? Every one of your decisions? Yes. The way that you're to live, right and wrong? Yes. You swore an oath and confirmed it to keep his righteous rules. We do that because it, it's just one of the fruits of being a child of God. 1 John 5, 2 says, By this we know that we love, uh, that we love the children of God, that we love God and obey his commands. We keep his righteous rules. Also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And so based on this knowing, knowing the gospel, knowing what Christ has done, it says, By this we know that he laid down his life for us. You know that Christ died on your behalf for your sin so that you could be set free and forgiven. And only when you trust in him do you have life and true love that will last for an eternity. So it says, by this we know love, Christ. Christ is the greatest example of what love means. He, he died for us, though we did not deserve it. We didn't do a single thing to make ourselves good enough for him to do that for us. We are broken and lost without him. And so he, he died for us, laid down his life for us. And so then it says in 1 John 3.16, we know that we're transformed by that love when we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. When we start living rightly. By, by sacrificing ourselves for other people, for obeying God. Righteous behavior is, is going to become clear the more you are in the word of God. Uh, the third thing that it provides clarity on is suffering. Look at verse 107. Though I am severely afflicted, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Severely afflicted, as David was. And you know what's amazing is you realize as you study the life of David, the more, like, the more faithful he was, the more obedient he was, he seemed to be the most afflicted. You know, when he was not very obedient, he was living the high life. And you could see it during his a big fall with Bathsheba and all the sin that got wrapped up in that. He, at that moment, he, he also sees just living the high life. He wasn't very persecuted. There wasn't much affliction. Uh, though you see this correlation. He says, Oh, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life. So when affliction comes, when trials come, whether it's uh, from outside circumstances, from inner turmoil, from sickness, disease, from, from others, when this affliction comes, he's asking that to give him life. So, Give him purpose in the meaning of this, in, in the middle of this affliction. Give meaning to this affliction. It does. The word of God does that. The word of God does not lead you thinking that when you are afflicted, when you go through a trial, when you're going through something really hard, that God has forgotten you. Or that that was an accident. 
or that you got yourself into that mess and God's going to let you just be and struggle and drown. The Word of God provides clarity for our suffering. It provides clarity knowing that our suffering has a purpose and it has a good purpose, that it is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Above all else, whatever else it's going to teach us, it's, it's teaching us to appreciate what is yet to come. And there he says, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life. Show me my future. Show me what life truly is. According to your word, the Bible provides clarity on this suffering. It provides a purpose for our suffering. It provides an understanding that this is, um, even if this is an enemy at work, God is in charge and that enemy is only going as far as the dog leash goes. And so the Bible provides much clarity when we suffer, that, that God will never leave you or forsake you, that he will uh, be there with you in the valley, that he will lift you up, that he will hold you in his righteous right hand. There is so much clarity in the word of God to give purpose and life in the midst of your possible even severe affliction. And so that's what the Bible provides clarity on. Not only the way of life, verse 105, the, the righteousness of our life and our right behavior, 106, our suffering, 107. But fourthly, also, the Bible provides clarity on right worship. 108 says, Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. We know uh, that Jesus said, and to the woman at the well, he says, you know, God desires people who will worship in spirit and in truth. There is a right and true way to worship. And there is multiple occasions where you read in the Old Testament of the people uh, falsely worshiping him or wrongly worshiping him. And he is not pleased by that. And so the Bible provides clarity on what is right worship. Well, uh, part of right worship is that it is not... Um, Forced. It is free will. It's of your own uh, you know, affections that God is stirring up in you. It is you saying, I want to give praise to my God. I love my God. It's not forced words. You know, sometimes when you tell a child to say thank you, and you tell them to say thank you, and they're not thankful, but you're making them say it anyways, it doesn't mean anything. Well, it's just teaching them the language of thanksgiving. But for us adults... Um, you know, are, are we just told, oh, you have to say, you know, praise God, praise God, you know, sing the doxology, praise God from whom all bless, blessings flow. Don't sing it empty. Like, don't. Don't do it. Uh, allow, if that's empty to you, ask God by his word to provide clarity. Provide so much clarity. Say, God, teach me your rules. Teach me what you have said. Teach me who you are so that that praise is a free will offering to you. So that it is acceptable to you. In 1 Chronicles 29, 17, it says this. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I've seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. This is what God desires, is a joyous and free, not a, a, a mandated worship, not a mandated praise. It's not manufactured. It is to be true and genuine of our heart, of what God is doing in us and teaching us. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. 
we learn about right worship, we get clarity. The word is a lamp to us about how we're to not just walk, how we're to behave, how we're to suffer, but also how we're to worship. Next, the fifth thing the word provides clarity on as a lamp for us, for our path, is that it shows us the dangers of life. Verse 109 says, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. It's like I have a a grasp on my life. I understand what I'm capable of, what might happen in my life. So I, I have a grasp on that. I do not forget your law. Recognizing the danger that that could happen that that you could abandon the law of god that you could abandon the word of god and it doesn't matter how much you've experienced or how much you you think you know and, and what god has done for you you could still abandon it you could still there is a, a, a horrific account in a psalm of of asaph in psalm 78 you can turn there if you'd like i'm going to kind of skip through and give you the pieces of the story that he recounts just showing how devastating it was that the, the people of God had forgotten, had forgotten his word, has forgotten his way. Let me recount this for you. Psalm 78, um, I'm beginning looking at verse, uh, verse 10, says, They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk in his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt. And then he divided the sea. It gives examples. He led them with the cloud, with a fiery pillar. He split the rocks and gave them drink. And then verse 17 says, Yet they sinned, they, yeah, they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God by demanding. And so... They they didn't believe God, it says in verse 22. They didn't trust God's saving power, yet he commanded the skies to be open. He gave them manna. He, He sent food in abundance. He rained down meat on them, it says. They ate and were filled, and all that they craved, they had. It says, but, verse 30, before they had even satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, um, Uh, And then he killed the strongest of them and laid low young men of Israel. In spite of this, they still sinned. uh, Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like breath. He he brought judgment on them. It says, when he killed them, then they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high, their redeemer. Verse 36 is devastating. Although they had remembered the God of their rock. Verse 36, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and he didn't stir up all of his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and and comes and is not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day where he redeemed them from the foe. 
all that he had done for them in Egypt. It goes on in verse, uh, lists the things. And then verse 52, it says, Then he led out his people like sheep. He guided them. He led them to safety so that they were not afraid. He took care of them. Verse 56, Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High and would not keep his testimonies. They turned away and acted treacherously. It's just, it all begins with the fact that it says they, they forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. They forgot. So when scripture shows us things like that and warns us of things like that, like these are the people of God who experienced the, the pillar of, of smoke and, and the pillar of fire. And they watched God split the sea for them. They saw the manna. They experienced it. All that God had done for them in, in abundance and they forgot. They forgot. And so what the word shows us, how the word provides clarity for us, it shows us the dangers of life. The danger that you could also abandon the word of God. Be warned. The Bible provides clarity and warning through the lives of those it records. That's the fifth thing the Bible provides clarity on as a lamp to our feet. The sixth thing is, it it teaches us about our enemies, that we have enemies. Whether you like it or not, whether you feel it or not, uh, whether you are prepared or not, you have enemies. If you are a child of God, there is a war at hand. Verse 110 says, the wicked have laid a snare for me. They've laid a snare. Something that could lead astray, something that could trap, something that could destroy, laid a snare for me, The Bible teaches us about snares. It teaches us about the dangers out there, not just of forgetting and abandoning his words, but about the enemies outside of us and the enemy within us, our own flesh and our sinful inclination. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8 says. He's seeking someone to devour. There's an enemy out there. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to know that there is a spiritual war at hand. And we're in it. And so... It's going on against us. It's, there's traps set up for us, whether we like it or not. They're going to, not, not necessarily to kill us, but sometimes to uh, make us vulnerable, sometimes to expose us, sometimes to expose the sin in us. Whatever it is, there are these things that are going to work against us. They're going to expose maybe pride in us. And, you know, whatever it is, you know the kind of the same, we should know the snares, the enemies that are against us, how the devil might trip you up. What are your weak areas? Where are you most tempted? The Bible provides clarity on our enemies, that there are enemies out there uh, at work against us. And so the fact is, do you know them? Are you aware of them? Are you running from them? Are you confessing them to others? Are you asking for accountability What is it that is causing you to trip up or fall down? What is it that's dangled in front of you all the time? What's the snare? What's the trap? Do you know your enemies? Because the word of God provides clarity. Provides clarity that that you are not your own and you're not on your your own either. 
that the church, the people of God, are, are there to, to guard you from the deceitfulness of sin. Like there's this little carrot hanging out in front of you that's going to lead you astray. But there's other people that you're supposed to invite in. Say, look it, I'm inviting you in because I believe that carrot lots of times before. I want to do it again. I, I know my enemy. Or I, I need you to watch my back because I can't focus on this or that. And, and maybe I don't even have clarity I need your wisdom because you know the word more than I do. Or, or you're able to evaluate my life better than I am. You know, I look at myself with rose-colored glasses or I look at myself with black-colored glasses. I can't see any good. And so then, therefore, I fail to believe the gospel even in my own life. You know, maybe you live a life of pity party and all you think about is your own sin and your own sinfulness. And you think there's no way God would ever love me. There's no way that I'm ever going to live the good Christian life. What you need is for another believer in Christ to preach the gospel to you again and remind you that's a snare. That's a trap where you are going to, um, you're just diminishing the gospel in your life. What you need is the gospel. You need to be reminded of the truth that this is not you, that this is all Christ. What he has done for you, he will forgive your sin not based on how you're doing today. But his mercy is new today. It's new this morning. He gives you enough grace for today. You can, you can get through this by his grace. Because it's by his grace you're saved and it's by his grace you're sustained. You need that reminder sometimes because you've got these enemies that are going to lie to you and going to make you disbelieve the gospel. So we need to have clarity on the enemies and the word of God provides that clarity. It is a lamp to our feet. The seventh thing that this passage shows us that the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path is in verse 111. It says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. Or, or the, as the NASB translated it, my inheritance, which is more helpful as we maybe read that. Um, so the word of God is clear about what our inheritance is. And, but what I love about this verse, it says, what, like if we normally think about the inheritance that is from God, we maybe think about heaven. And some people want to just focus on the freedom of, you know, I'm free from pain and sickness and whatever else. Um, but, you know, we should be focusing on the, the inheritance that we get. We get Christ. We get to see him face to face. We, we get to be with God and in great relationship again um, because we've come through Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but more than that, here this says the inheritance is his testimonies. Look again, it says, your testimonies are my heritage. They are my inheritance forever. Your word is my inheritance forever. This is the word that I can stand on. It's not my stuff. It's not my body. It's not even a, a repaired body. It doesn't matter. What matters is the word of God, the promise of God, who God is, what he has done, and I'll be singing that praise forever. That is going to equip my uh, right worship here and now, but also in the future, his testimonies are my heritage forever. The word of God makes that clear. It provides a lamp for that. It provides showing us what it is that we should be longing after. What is the greatest treasure? Obviously, a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But, but more than that, what, what, what comes out of that relationship with Christ? What, what is the fruit of that relationship with Christ even here and now in the path that we're facing so that in the next step we take, whether that's in affliction, whether that's avoiding a snare, whether that's in worship, whether that's in uh, just obeying, we, we need to know that this is not all there is and that I have clarity. I know that there is an inheritance. 
that is imperishable. And it's mine only through my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a heritage that the Bible provides clarity on. The people of God, the bride meeting her groom. It says there at the end of verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. They bring contentment and satisfaction because this is the thing that never wavers. Never, ever wavers. You don't have to worry about the word of God leaving you or changing its mind or disappointing you. It will never will. And so it can be a joy, a real source of joy and rejoicing to, to stand upon something so unshakable, so true. You don't have to worry about its validity. You don't have to worry about what God has said to you, if it's good for you or not. That, that's a real joy when you put yourself in the word of God and, and submit yourself under it to say, this is the word, that this is my way. This is my righteousness. This is giving me hope in my suffering. This is teaching me how to worship God. This is warning me of the danger of my own inclinations. This is warning me of the dangers of enemies and traps set for me. This is telling me about my heritage forever. What a great joy the word of God is. That's why he says in verse 112, incline my heart, incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end, forever to the end, unendingly, repeatedly. I want to perform your word. But what's amazing is he's asking God to incline his heart to perform. We often think about our hands and our feet performing, doing the good works. Our mouths, our ears, doing the good things. But here he says, incline my heart. Because he realizes and recognizes the word has revealed to him that what matters is the motivation behind all that you do. Why are you doing it? The scripture tells us, do everything you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. It, it provides the heart motivation. So he's asking, incline my heart. Change my motive for why I will keep your statutes forever." The Christian Standard Bible says, I am resolved to obey in this verse. And I think that should be the call of our lives as well. I am resolved to obey because we see what the word as a lamp has done for us. We see what it is for us. It provides so much clarity in a dark world. It may be even darkness of your own mind, in darkness of your own understanding, in darkness of your sin. The word provides the light that pierces through. And it is never-ending. And so we trust in this word. We submit ourselves to this word to guide our lives the way, to, to shape our behavior, to give life and meaning in our suffering, to teach us about right worship, to give us the fuel for right worship, to warn us of the dangers of life, to encourage us in our battle against the enemies of life, and then to equip us with a future hope in the heritage that is eternal life. Incline my heart to perform these words forever and ever to the end, because your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, what a privilege. Even though we don't deserve, even though we don't uh, even we take it for granted what we have in your word. So we're thankful that you 
like, like your people, Israel, you give us chance again and again and opportunity again and again. You give us grace daily. Oh, you just are there for us, even though we don't deserve it. And we are, we are glad for that. And just pray that we would be people who appreciate your word as a lamp, that we would always hold it out before us, that we would always trust it as sufficient. We know that it is sufficient for our very next step, and we want to thank you and, and, and be good stewards of that next step because we have your word. Help us to be good um, students of the Bible so that the, the clarity it brings is even a greater so that we might live um, all the better for the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.